namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa aparuta de sangama tassa taurae sodavanta namunjantu satang The nature of consciousness is silence. So consciousness doesn't have words. Words arise out of consciousness. Thoughts arise out of consciousness. Emotions, happy, unhappy, content, discontented. So consciousness is what we are all the time. This is for reflection, because what are you all the time? Because you're, you change according to your preferences of the moment, the situation you're in, your physical health, all your thoughts, memories, conditions, you know, change according to other conditions. So you can't sustain a condition, a sankhara, for very long before it changes. But what doesn't change is consciousness. But we identify with when we talk about avicca or ignorance, ignorance of the reality of Dhamma means that we identify with the changing conditions. And that's why we suffer. That's why the first noble truth is about dukkha, suffering. Because we're always attaching to things that change, to conditions that are impermanent. Whether they be good or bad or what they change, they, what begins, ends, what is born, dies. <clears throat> To really trust in consciousness, conscious awareness, <clears throat> is the, kind of the advice that I encourage to take seriously. You can't trust what you're feeling, it'll change. Your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, these change according to other conditions. The body gets old get sick and dies, because you can't trust your physical body to find permanent happiness or the gate to the door to the deathless, the deathless reality of Dhamma. But what you really are is the deathless reality of Dhamma. You're not a mortal being as you think, you believe, you've been told, you've been conditioned culturally, Condition to believe that you are your physical appearance, your physical body, your, your personality. And these are all conditions that we identify with, we pass judgment on. 
So in the human species, you know, we're thinking creatures. So thinking becomes our, our identity. We think what we think we believe we are. In learning to trust awareness, it takes patience. Because uh, when we're so attached to changing phenomena, when that's what we believe in and identify with and react to, then, you know, that's just impatience. Because those conditions change, you can't be patient. It's conditioning uh, sankharas, phenomena can't be patient because its nature is change. So how to be content, how to be patient, is learning to trust awareness. Like you can't will yourself to become patient. You know, you, you like the idea, you've been told you should be content with the four requisites. You should be patient and content as a samana, these are the ideals, the ideals of the samana life, the monastic life. But ideals are also conditions. But when I encourage you to develop, to, to cultivate patience, it's cultivating awareness of impatience. When you feel restless, impatient, you're aware of that. And we don't want it, you know, we want to be patient, so there's desire to become somebody who's patient, but you can't be somebody who's patient as long as you identify with the body, with the conditions that you're experiencing, because their very nature is change. They're not patient. When I was talking this morning after Paribhog about contentment, you can't make yourself content just as an act of will. We all like the idea of it. You know, it's a beautiful idea. But you can't be content as long as you're identified with the changing conditions of your body and mind. Because they they won't allow that. They they're 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 not programmed to be content, they're, they're programmed to change. So even though one can quote from scripture about a good samana is content and patient, this is the ideal, it's not wrong or anything, but we have to be aware of what we're actually feeling not trying to compare the present condition we're experiencing with some ideal you've read from the scripture. So if you feel impatient, it's like this. And that when I do this, you know, I'm observing just as the, any attachment any identity I have with my personality, my emotions, my physical appearance. And in this reflective mode, 
is not judgmental. When I say, when we use the English phrase, it's like this, it's notice is not about good or bad, right or wrong, or being a good bhikkhu or not a good bhikkhu. It's like this, this moment. At this very moment, it can only be like this. This is consciousness. So consciousness isn't isn't judging whether even if you feel impatient, discontented, angry, upset, disturbed, stressed out, you're still aware of it. It's like this. So everything that you think and feel through their body and mind is food for enlightenment. Christ for the mill. We can't become perfect persons because personality is very impermanent, changeable, and dependent on conditions. So when we try to perfect ourselves as a person, it's a hopeless cause. We can delude ourselves. You know, we can believe that we are perfect people, a perfect person. But that belief is a, is, a, is a sankara, it's a changing condition. So you, you might feel that in the moment or want to believe that, but it, it's just words, uh, words that you particularly attach to. So bhati bhata or pavana, these are Pali words, is this patient awareness that we trust. Trust this. No matter how you're feeling, no matter what you're thinking, no matter if it's day or night, whether you're sitting, standing, walking, lying down, it's the way it is in the moment. And the present has no quality to it. The present moment is timeless. When we, when we think of time, we think of the past and the future. And then we create a sense of the present moment is time, but in reality, in the reality of this moment, it's timeless. So it's a kalika dhamma, it's a rea the reality of timelessness. The present moment is like this. And you kind of let go of what you're feeling, what you're thinking, <clears throat> physically, mentally, emotionally, to just accept the way it is in the moment. So that's what bhavana, bhavana really is, developing, cultivating this awareness, trusting it. You know, with ideals, the ideal bhikkhu life, then we tend to feel guilty because we can never be an ideal. 
and some monk that's trying to be an ideal is not being an it's not being ideal is being deluded so ideals are like stars in the sky you know when you're out at sea you you need direction but if you're sailing on the pacific ocean and you're not getting the right direction you're going to sink the ship. If you're on a path and you're not, you're getting your direction from the goal, but you're, you're, you're not looking where you're stepping, you might fall into the ditch or off the cliff. So ideals are like beautiful stars in the sky. They're beautiful to look at, they shine and we like to gaze at them. But this present moment is like this. It's not up in the sky. It's not, it's not a direction to follow, but a situation to observe, to be the witness, to be the puto. The witness is like this. So this ultimately, you realize whether you're going to believe this or not, that you're all perfect already. The perfection is not something you lack, but what you believe is imperfect. So, you know, like, just you identify with, with the with the physical form, with the human form, with the gender of the body. How many problems arise over gender discrimination, racial discrimination? Nationalism, fascism, patriotism are all conditions that are created by human beings. They're all sankars, they're all phenomena that arise and cease. So you can't trust just belief systems if you're forced to believe in things because out of fear, you know, so many things, we're frightened. If we disbelieve or disobey the rules, we become frightened. Breaking the law, we're going to be punished. So, so much of social conditioning, cultural conditioning is, is fear-based. If you obey the rules, follow the customs, live within the structures, uh, and believe that any, any kind of thought outside that form, outside that convention, is a sin, then you're operating out of fear of becoming a sinner, or being damned to hell, or being rejected by society. So this is for you to reflect upon, begin to, you know, this is why I, I keep telling you to trust this awareness. It's here and now, so it's every moment. It's not something you have to get. And you can't cultivate it. It's not a thing you can cultivate. It's learning to just trust. The simple reality of here and now is like this. 
and this sense of opening rather than focusing on something. Like so much of what passes for meditation is focusing on objects to concentrate on. So like the samatha practice, you have the breath, the kasinas, the, the flames of a candle and so forth, so you, you're focusing on an object by excluding everything else. So you're, you're sending your consciousness out through, the, through sight, through seeing, to an object. By confining yourself to that object, you have to repress, reject everything else other than that object. So you experience absorption, which leads to tranquility. But tranquility based on that kind of practice is impermanent because it's dependent on sustaining concentration on an object that, it, that you feel separate from. You may unite with it, you have kind of mystical experiences of oneness with the universe, but that also arises and ceases. But what is continuous, what doesn't change is awareness so learning to trust this expansive approach, sati-sampachanya, mindfulness and clear comprehension, apperception, it's wide, it's not focusing on an object, it's embracing the totality of this moment, it's like this. So then you begin, if you trust this and patiently accept, it, accept this present moment with patience, you're going to feel restless, impatient, doubting, uncertain. These are all conditions that arise in the present moment. But your relationship to them is no longer trying to control, reject, or resist, or grasp, but to observe. So you take refuge in Puto, in Buddha, awakened conscious awareness here and now that is available all, all our whole lives when we begin to trust it. We begin to notice that it's a continuous reality. It's strong, it's beautiful, it's perfect. And that's what you really are, you know, when you're looking for yourself as a perfect man or woman, as a perfect monk, as a perfect citizen, then your critical mind is, is programmed to question all that, to doubt that. Because the thinking mind always leads to doubt. When you think too much, you doubt all the time. So that's why the intellect, the conditioning of the brain, the intellect, <clears throat> cannot take us to Nibbana, to enlightenment, to the deathless, because we're always conditioned, attaching, resisting to conditions that die, that change.
So that's why the Buddha mentioned suffering as the first noble truth, because that's what suffering is amount, it amounts to, is attachment to condition, to change, to things that are we, we can't control and, and trust, but are subject to other conditions. And this realm that we're experiencing through the sensory forms that we're sitting in right now is the physical bodies changing, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, states of mind, emotions change. But what is aware of change? That which is aware of change is what you really are. So you begin, you begin to see the futility of trying to find who you are, where you belong, or, uh, you know, always trying to get something you don't have, trying to get rid of your defilements, trying to control life, control your emotions, seeing fear outside the gates of the monastery. I remember when I was a layman in Bangkok years ago, I was teaching English at a university, and I was associating with expatriate Westerners who were interested in Buddhism. And this one, I remember, one man telling me that I had to ordain at this certain temple, which was outside of Bangkok, because he said, you can't be mindful in Bangkok, where at this monastery you train yourself with a technique so you're mindful all the time. But once you leave the monastery, you're, you're not going to be mindful anymore. And somehow that totally put me off going to that monastery. I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to be dependent on a situation, a condition, because monasteries change too. Well, when Lung Pao Cha, you know, he was, he didn't make comments like that. His whole emphasis was on trusting awareness, on patient endurance. Patience is, is he's, he told me from the very beginning when I first met him, I should develop patience, which was, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with that because by my personality, my conditioning, is about impatience, wanting to change things, wanting to get something, wanting to get rid of something. So you can't get rid of discontentment or impatience, but you can be aware of it. It's like this. And then it changes, it ceases. And in its cessation is conscious awareness, peacefulness. So in, in the Thai custom of funeral chanting, when we chant Anicca Vata Sankara Ubata Vayatamino, it's translated, all conditions are impermanent. What arises ceases, and in that cessation is peace. E basamo suko. 
So when you realize this, the joy of finding, of realizing there's nothing to fear, that all the cultural conditioning, personal identities that I've held over, you know, as a lay person, as a bhikkhu, all the conditioning that I've received has always made me slightly diffident and frightened of life. Even though I've been treated very well, my life is always the possibility of being mistreated by it, of getting some terrible, painful disease or, or being rejected by the communities and being cast out or not being good enough, being despised. Because that's the conditioning process. It's about identity with the physical body. The reality of gender is, is you know, is one of the first identities you have when you're growing up. With your family, with your mother and father, with your class, your class identity, with your nationality, how many problems are, have arisen in the past decade, past 50 years actually, of, of immigrants, immigration coming from Africa, from Asia, things like Brexit occur because people get frightened of, of being overrun by immigrants because they, they have such a strict identity as being you have to be British or English, your identity is so strongly uh, uh, grasping these identities when they are just nothing but thin air. The United States, for example, being American, is founded by white Christian men. So now white Christian men tend to feel intimidated by the fact that, that the United States is multiracial. But that's the way things go, they change. The world isn't sectioned off like it seemed to be in 50, 100 years ago. You know, people travel all over the world very easily. Tourism is very popular because we're, we're interested in, in going around the world, in other places, and seeing different things. So we follow our interests, our desires, the feeling, the political uh, conditions that we hear at the present time, nationalism, patriotism, fascism, socialism, communism, they're all ideas. They're nothing but fantasies. Democracy, they're, you know, they're quite beautiful, like democracy, even communism as an ideal is, seems perfect 
everything shared equally, everybody free, everybody happy, everybody content is, is an ideal. But populations of human beings are not ideals. You know, we're not an ideal in the sense of our form, our conditioning. So I emphasize this word ideal because, you know, the thinking process, when we're attached to the thinking process as our identity, then we, we can only become critical of life. Become cynical as you grow older and you, you, your idealism of youth falls away. And what's left is a kind of bitter cynicism or disappointment or just grin and bear it attitudes. Or you can free yourself totally from the conditioning process. It still operates, you know, it's still, you still grow old and the conditions of the past, the vipaka kama, arises and ceases. But the difference is that you know what it is. You're no longer deluded by your thoughts, by your emotions, by the conventions you're living under, by the society you're living in. So when the Buddha talked about freedom, I mean, that's what freedom is. Freedom from fear. Freedom from desire. It doesn't mean that we never feel fear or desire, but we know it. We don't attach to it. The second noble truth is all about letting go. The third noble truth is non-attachment. Neuroda, non-attachment to conditions. It doesn't mean that that much changes. Monastic life still is like this, whether you're here at Amravati, Chitthurst, or in Thailand. When monasteries change, different attitudes, different people come and go. The world changes, climate change. Change is, is just the nature of phenomena. So during this, I think the two weeks left of the winter's retreat, and uh, I think it's a time for the community to come together, to practice together which is very beneficial, very supportive. Monastic, monasticism is to be used for awareness. It's a convention that's not pointed at itself as an end in itself. You know, so monasticism isn't just ordaining as a monk, doesn't mean you're going to change that much, but the, the forms, the, the symbols, are all pointing away from the delusion of yourself as a separate individual towards Dhamma. You're taking refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, not in your personality, not in your beliefs or concepts. 
objects of consciousness, but in consciousness itself. So peace is our true nature. The present moment is peaceful. If you let go of everything and just open to it. So it's, it's what we call relaxed attention. Relaxed attention usually means putting forth an effort like in the military, you say attention, and everybody comes to a very stiff position. Pay attention means you've got to focus on something. But attention in this, in this way, it means opening to the reality of this moment is like this. So you're attentive to it, it's the way it is. Whether you like the way it is, agree with what I'm saying, think it's rubbish, or you're interested or not, you're aware of that. That awareness is what you trust. It's like this. So the best we can do, as like as Ajahns, as teachers in this form, in this tradition, is, is encouraging. And not trying to just recondition you into Buddhist monks. Buddhist nuns. Thought about taking on a new costume for life and identifying with it, but using it for awareness. Like just wearing this robe, for example, always reminds you that, you know, use it seen as not as some kind of vanity or fashion or personal identity, but as reminder of Sangha, of being the awareness. When you look at the Buddha Rupas, you know, like the Buddha Rupa behind me, You know, you, you see it, you know, you've been trained to bow to the Buddha Rupa three times and every, every time you come in the temple. That's the training. You know, so we, we obey the, the training, we conform to the, the tradition. But the reality is awareness of that. Of how perfunctory bowing can become just because we're told that that's a good thing to do. Or do we bow mindfully? But no matter how, you know, whether you're in a happy mood or in a, in a state of peace and tranquility or love or hate or whatever, you're aware of it, even when you're bowing to a Buddha Rupa. So Buddha Rupas can be helpful because they're, they're objects that we see and can 
can remind ourselves because we oftentimes come into temples, into shrine rooms, into meditation halls with our minds all over the place. So whether if your mind's all over the place, you're aware of that. The Buddha Rupa helps to remind you it's like this. Rather than you should pay respect to the Buddha Rupa, which we oftentimes project onto images, that they're intimidating us, told we should respect them, or just this simple awakening in the present moment is like this. And learning to trust that. It's not asking you to feel a positive state of mind towards the Buddha Rupa in every moment that you see one. But they can be skillful means to remind yourself entering a temple. Everything in this temple is, is towards silence, towards peace, towards mindfulness. When we built this Uposada Hall, the idea was to not use a lot of distracting images. Like I'd been visiting European basilicas before, where you, know, you go to some, like in Italy or Switzerland, where they, France, where they're so absolutely gorgeous with gold objects and stained glass windows, things that draw your attention out towards, towards forms. They're, you know, they're beautiful to look at. But then as a Uposana Hall that's going to be used for meditation, do we want to be drawn out to the paintings, to the murals, to the forms in the temple, or use the forms in the temple to remind us to go inward? So we have brick walls, white ceiling. Quite plain, simple, open, spaciousness that helps to remind us to calm down. Because white ceilings and brick walls are not particularly grabbing one's attention. Where golden filigree and beautiful murals, stained glass windows are, you know, it's very attractive, very beautiful to to put your attention upon. So I, in the past few years, I've been trying to tell people they're perfect already, and, and I know they don't believe me. Because when I say that, you see yourself as a person, not as reality itself. So my encouragement is to take your stand with awareness. This is conscious, 
awareness in the present that you can trust. What you think you are and believe you are and have been told you are by others, you can't believe that. It's about forms, it's about concepts, about conditions, about words and meanings that are all subject to change, that have no permanent ability. So that's when, you know, and people trying to find out who they are, where do they belong, where do I fit in? You know, we, we find we want to fit in somewhere, we want to belong. We want an identity. But even no matter where we fit in or believe we fit in or where we feel we belong, that's not it. The reality is always here and now. Santitiko Dhamma Akalika Ehi Pasiko Upanayako Bhajatang Vaitidapo Vinyuhi. Apparent here and now, timeless. Ehi Pasiko encouraging investigation. It's encouraged us to reflect on this. Who do you really think you are? You know, who, who am I as a personality? We project on each other opinions and views about what Lumpu Sameto is or Ajahn Amaro, Ajahn Aryasilo. We have projections that we concepts, opinions, and that's all they are. They're empty phenomena. So we begin to realize the unity, the unifying factor of consciousness with all creation. We can't find a permanent sense of peace or belonging in a condition that's always subject to so many other conditions to change. So this afternoon I offer this as a reflection to encourage you in the next two weeks to really consider what I've been saying. Not, I'm not asking you to believe it, but to change your attitude about yourself from seeing your, your strong attachment to what you believe you think you are, to learning to recognize the reality of awareness, the peace, the perfection of it that doesn't change. So I offer this as a reflection. <laughs>